Welcome to the Viscast. As of the day of this recording, which is November 15, there are at least 11,240 Palestinians who have lost their lives in Gaza. 4,630 of those are children and 3,130 are women. In Israel, there are about 1,200 who have lost their lives, and I have not seen a breakdown uh, of those numbers, except that 368 were Israeli soldiers of those 1,200. So that means about 830 uh, civilians were killed by Hamas on October 7, and perhaps 8 and 9, until the situation um, was under control. There are also 238 or 239, I've seen both figures, hostages being held uh, by Hamas. Most are Israeli citizens, though there uh, are also some internationals in that group. This is a, just a short, some short snippets of a discussion that I had with Chris DeBlay, my colleague in this work. And we are having, understandably, a hard time digesting what we are witnessing. And I think this is universally true. We have seen wars between Hamas and Islamic Jihad, the militant um, Palestinians in Gaza before, um, but we have never witnessed something on this scale. This is not going to go back to some former equilibrium. That seems quite clear. And so we offer this, these reflections just sort of simply to you. This is us putting our best foot forward in a couple of recordings that we did to help us all digest what we are witnessing. So thanks for listening. I hope this proves helpful. As I come into my own and, and start to see myself as a human rights activist in some fashion, which I think is partially what I've become over the years, and I think you, you would agree that as you come into this work, you start to you start to see yourself in that position and it starts to affect how you understand like global conflicts and national, all these things take on a slightly different feel. So what I mean is that I feel like my primary concern is for human beings around the world, right? right? Like that's what I primarily yeah. care about. Yeah. And I'm trying to see all human beings as possessing the same sort of moral worth, yeah. um, regardless of who they are, where they live, what their circumstances are, what they've done, or what they've done as a people group, right? And then that that just means that my primary concerns are different than what some other people's are, right? Um, which is a kind of a new idea for me to realize, like this is the space I've kind of stepped into through doing this work for now, you know, seven years, um, is that that's how I view the world mm. kind of primarily mm. as a full of human beings that I want to try and care about uh, as equally give equal consideration to all of them. And 
that means and then I'll try and stop talking. That means that I work hard to see the humanity in all peoples, even when it's really hard, right? And we were talking about this, and this is maybe a good way to, to start because it's sort of the most difficult piece of this, is we were talking about does that include then seeing the humanity of the Hamas fighters who came into Israel and did these awful, awful things things that I have chosen to read about to a certain extent so that I I am not ignorant about it. And in part, I'm saying I'm not ignorant about the emotions that knowing about it and reading about it evokes. So maybe that's a place to start this conversation, maybe in the hardest spot, which is what obligation do you feel to honor, which is a hard word to use here, but to honor the humanity of even the Hamas fighters who did what they did. And what role does that play in how we try and situate ourselves in the morality of what is happening, what has happened, what should happen? That's an easy one I'm pitching to you, so go ahead. I think what what comes to mind um, initially for me is is just how to reiterate how difficult it is to do what you are saying to honor the humanity or to at the very least if that word's too uncomfortable for people to uh, to recognize the humanity in everyone yeah, maybe that's better but because honor sounds probably a little bit much. For maybe, a lot of people, yeah, maybe recognize I think is is asking less of yeah. people, perhaps. Perhaps I mean language is Ooh. language is important in in this particular circumstance. I mean I think it's important always, always but yes, here it's like feels especially important to try it, and it does. You and I are often texting about language in the yeah. last month because we're trying to discern what what words do you use um, because it does really matter. So let's say recognize the humanity. You know, I, I think that that is uh, just one of the hardest things for us to do, especially in the face of pain and incredible loss and horrors that, you know, are unimaginable. Um, it would be like recognizing the humanity of 9-11 hijackers and mm -hmm. such i think right for us yeah. for us right if people want to make it more personal mm -hmm. you know how did what was that like for you back then if you if you were old enough at, in 2001 yeah to think about that and and i would say we didn't do a very good job right. of that and instead we were somewhat careful. I mean, to to his credit, Bush, mm -hmm. uh, W. Bush did, you know, used words like uh, uh, what's crusade at one point and then took it back and made a point to say it's not a war against Islam, right. right? He yep. he was trying, yep. um, but we were struggling. We certainly were. After that, to to do anything but feel rage and vengeance. That's right. That vengeance is such an instinctual reaction it for is. us as humans, and I think that we've—if you've been following this at all in the last month—you see it everywhere. 
from from the highest lead, you know political leaders you know folks in Israel specifically using that word as what our our purpose here is to extract a mighty vengeance but you see it in everyday people here in the states too who are weighing in or trying to understand you know it's a very reactionary um st- strongly uh felt uh desire to somehow make things right or at least maybe feel a little better by getting back and we did the same thing i remember bush being on top of the rubble being like the terrorists who did this they're gonna hear about us real soon or something like that and everybody cheered and that was just a moment of saying like we're gonna go get these terrible people we're gonna we're gonna go kill people yep that's what that meant. I mean, it was just sort of disguised language. We all knew what it meant. We all knew it meant we were going to rain down hell on somebody. Yeah, and I, I I, don't have an exact memory. I remember that moment. I can't say with absolute clarity how I felt, but my sense is that when he said that, there was a, a part of me and maybe a very, like a substantial part of me right. that was like, yes, mm-hmm. 100%. Right. I think you could say that in the last 25 years, that's maybe the most united Americans have been, mm-hmm. is around the desire for vengeance against the people who perpetrated 9-11. I mean, you had Congress, like all of Congress at one point was on the steps of the Capitol together, some sort of vigil. Uniting, uniting people around a common enemy is such a great and easy way. Great isn't quite the word I yeah, want. It's right. such an easy, yeah. effective it's way effective. Yeah. to bring people uh, it's very together. Powerful. It's very yeah, powerful. Extremely powerful. And I think what I've been wrestling with is, is maybe the obvious question, does vengeance get us to where we want to go? Does it usher in the future that I think most people would say they want, which would be one of peace and prosperity and equality and et cetera, et cetera. And that's true. I'm asking that question about what's happening, you know, halfway around the world and, you know, reflecting on it in my own life too, in the, it's a much different scale, of course, but I want vengeance quite regularly in my life in smaller ways. Does that, does that move me toward the future that I want? course you can guess what my answer is if if somebody had to make the argument for like vengeance somehow creating a better world i mean good luck to them i, I, I just agree. don't know what I, yeah i don't even know where you you start with that i imagine it would be something like a very realistic assessment of the human condition right. and how politics works and how geopolitics works. And, you know, it's sort of like, do you remember a few good men? (laughs) Jack Nicholson on the stand. And he's just basically saying to Tom Cruise, who's the attorney, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, you want to get, you know, you want to get after me for not being moral. But like at the end of the day, I'm standing between you and the, the abyss or the mass of yeah. terrible evil in the world. And this is how the world is. And you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Right. That's the, the line that, that got a lot of attention. If you're old enough to remember a few good men, if not, go watch it. It's pretty fun. 
Um, <clears throat> I think that's the response you end up getting. Like, yeah. you have to show strength in this world. Yep. If you don't, you know, these evil forces, which for us, from our perspective, of course, is like Iran and China and Russia. That seems to be the answer you get. The problem, of course, is that they would say the same about us, and this is the the fundamental. Well, at least it's it's a it's a major issue with vengeance is that there is no common enemy in the end. Everyone just becomes the enemy of the other, and continually tries to one up the other in terms of exacting some sort of revenge for what has happened. And I think Israel Palestine is a what we're witnessing right now is a pretty clear example of that escalation, the way in which vengeance continually just it just builds. Yeah, vengeance cycles rarely lead to peace, mm-hmm. it seems like to me. And I'm not trying to be Pollyannish about this or anything. I mean, I listen to the geopolitical podcasts and the podcasts on national politics and human rights. and I mean, I I try and dip my toes in all those conversations. In all of those conversations, how is 10,000 Palestinian deaths in Gaza, everybody agrees, the vast, vast majority, but let's just pin it at 90%. I think that's generous towards Israel to 90%. say that 90% are civilian deaths. Right? People in the wrong place at the wrong time, period. Half of those, by the way, well, roughly. M- many of them being children. Yeah. Yeah. If not half, very close. How does that serve any of those different conversations? Which we're not we're not doing those conversation conversations now, geopolitical national uh political in the u.s you, you know international law human rights it i just can't see how it serves any of those interests yeah i can't see it it, it doesn't move us again toward toward any sort of future that we want i th- and i think there are a few voices who are in the last month saying saying what we are saying and also trying to point back to examples from our own history as a country in which we have perhaps chosen vengeance and it didn't work. Uh, what happened actually is that things got worse. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I'm with you. I don't know how the current, what would appear to be strategy of Israel is is leading us anywhere that anyone really wants to go, including Israel. At the end of the day, there have been Israelis who, are. who mm-hmm. whose loved ones ha- died mm-hmm. on October 7th who have said it doesn't help us to kill Palestinian children. It doesn't bring my brother, my husband back. Right. There are people who paid sort of the hardest price of all who have been able to do that, have been able to say this isn't the way Um so it's not impossible. No. It's not impossible no. to reject vengeance. Right. It's not impossible. Right. And I think it's worth saying that most Palestinians over the course of the last, you know, 67 is how long ago now? 50, 56 years ago? 1967 to now? Yeah. 
roughly, 56 years ago of living without self-determination and and the sort of rights you would like to have under your own society who have not chosen vengeance. The vast majority majority. have not chosen vengeance to their great credit. It's easy to forget when you have these outbreaks. It's still a small, it's still a minority of the population that's willing to commit these kinds of acts. And I just think it's it's noteworthy. It's easy to forget in Mm -hmm. these sorts of times. That most Israelis, most Palestinians, do not choose vengeance on a daily, on a daily basis. Yeah, Israel has been very clear, explicitly so. Netanyahu said this: "We are going to bring a mighty vengeance." And He's s- also used imagery like "sons of light, sons of darkness." Yeah. That's borrowing from uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, actually, mm. and. So there's been casting of this as like good versus evil, which is so, so dangerous and such poor, poor leadership. Yeah. I mean, again, you understand it all. It's all very human. All very human. But you expect more of leaders and especially, I will say, of leaders who claim to be um, upholding democracy, human rights, Certainly Israel and the United States, we give lip service to saying these things are important to us. It's hard to see that, I think, in this moment, or hard to believe that that's the case when top cabinet officials within Israel are, you know, calling Palestinians, not just Hamas, but referring to the citizens of Gaza as animals. Um, We will treat them as such, hence the reason why water and food and medicine and fuel have still not been, almost three weeks later, still have not been restored, let alone any sort of flow of humanitarian aid. The it's reason been a, It's been a trickle. They've let a few a in. Crumbs, as I've heard someone describe yeah. it, yeah. Uh, how does that happen? I think that happens in part because you view a people group really not as people or as a lesser people. That's That seems to be a play here. And I would say... Pr- although it's not in the news coverage in the same way, but does Hamas view Israel as a lesser people to be eradicated? Yeah. I think so. Right? Yeah. I think we have to say so, yes. So it's on both. It's it's not just one or the other. Part of the issue is that I don't have any um, expectations right, for Hamas, the morality yes. right. of Hamas. I have zero. I have no respect for them. But I, I'll I'll admit that I do expect more from Israel, the United States, Western countries, or any country that cares about people. And so I didn't expect Israel Mm -hmm. to say, okay, well, there's your vengeance, so we can do that too. Mm -hmm. And they essentially have. I realize they could have killed, by this point, they could have killed hundreds of thousands of Palestinians. They haven't done that, but 7,000 in 20 days is a lot of people. Yep. And, and I don't know what to call that except collective punishment and vengeance. Yeah. That death toll and and again I, I you know you and I know these numbers and maybe a lot of people listening do too but it's also the hundreds of thousands of people who have been displaced the presumably tens of thousands whose homes they cannot go back to. They've been, you know, uh, they're they're nothing but rubble. Um 
and and the people who are alive who are experiencing this collective trauma, not knowing where they're going to drink, have a drink of water next, not knowing if they'll be able to put food in the mouth of their children. I mean, this is what's happening in this very moment. Yeah, Insulin for diabetic. I mean, there's just so many things um, that people groups need to survive that are being denied purposefully by Israel with our our being the United States and other with our consent apparently and the weapons being used the bombs being dropped either all or most of them are american made and essentially gifted um by the united states uh, to israel so we're very implicated we're very involved and my dis- my considerable disappointment has been the lack of call for any sort of restraint. Yeah. I mean, there's been lip service to restraint, but nothing. I mean, our president went there, and what he got in return was a few trucks got led into Gaza. Yeah. That's nothing. Yeah, it's crumbs. Yeah. It's crumbs. And... W- I mean, I don't know how exactly to put into words the lack of morality being shown by the West right now and the and the credibility that we are rightly losing around the world, right? I mean, we can be just another China, Russia, we're strong, don't mess with us. And we can forego all the morality, all the all the human rights talk, all the democracy talk, if we want, I guess. I mean, maybe we did. I mean, maybe we should look back at Iraq and we tortured people when this happened to us. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised. Look at our response to when it happened to us. We don't have very solid ground to stand on at the moment, it would seem. I, I do think I've, I w- have been happy to have you know these moments where our diplomatic officials have said, hey, listen, post 9-11, you know, we did make mistakes. Rage was driving us. Um don't make that same mistake. So that has been said. It has been. That's a good point. It was said by by Biden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, again, you know, we're not privy to all the conversations, of course, going on. So all we can give is the perspective that we have as people trying to watch the situation closely. But when you have food and water being denied millions of people, something is terribly amiss. Exactly. And um, I was thinking about, so this was maybe Saturday or Sunday. So this is a way to dig in a little further into morality and, and the ways I've been wondering about it. So one of those days, either Saturday or Sunday, I think it was Sunday, I, um, I'd been looking at images of children in Gaza like sh- like the ones i was seeing were people coming to the hospital shell shocked right shaking um and eventually like it led me it overwhelmed me right it overwhelmed me and um i sort of chose to let the tears come which is not something i choose often but I thought this might 
maybe this is the right way to move forward in this day in which I feel very overwhelmed. But then I thought, like, I don't know where this thought comes from, but I thought to myself, like, what is the point? What is the point of these tears? What good do they do? Almost, like, slightly embarrassed by them. Mm -hmm. It was on my own. Nobody was around me. I didn't didn't cry publicly. What are you, crazy? (laughs) Um... (laughs) We all have our work to do. Yeah, I understand. You know what I, mean? I understand. And I, I did find myself almost. It was like my, it was like my mind and body were doing the, the were like really digging into the morality and the pain of it all, right? And I was le- letting myself feel that. But then there was some part of me that was like, well, what is it? What does it do? What does it accomplish? What does it matter? Mm. Right? Like. What do you, your tears don't solve anything. Mm-hmm. You, you know, they don't, they're, they're not helping the children you saw. Right. You can't help them with your tears. But then I also thought to myself, or I wondered to myself, are tears like that really like wasted? How can that be that they're wasted? They're, they're, they must be doing something. Right. And I, and, the reason I bring this up is just to say, like, the morality of this lies outside of, it lies outside of these con- these really particular considerations somehow. It somehow is attached to feeling um, solidarity with other human beings mm-hmm. that you don't know, mm-hmm. that you'll probably never know, mm-hmm. whose, whose situation you can't fully understand, right? but that you're allowing that that you're allowing yourself to be moved by it is is an act of solidarity with humanity and maybe that's not maybe that's never totally wasted thanks so much for listening and take care of each other out there and don't give up thanks <laughs>